Go with me to Mark chapter 2 today. Mark chapter 2. Yes, we're going to look at verses 23 through 28 and probably read on down into chapter 3 as well. I never travel alone, and I'm also glad to have my baby brother here with me, Nathan Madu. Do you mind? Can I embarrass you, Nathan? Go ahead, stand up. That's my, that's my brother right there, y'all. And he is single. Amen. This is your year, Nate. I brought you to Tulsa. i help you out today. Mark chapter 2. <laughs> Mark, he hates me, but I got the microphone. Mark chapter 2, starting at verse number 23, and it says... One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as, he was, as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And he answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? And in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand, another version says a withered hand was there. And some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. And Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Completely restored. Completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Can you say amen? Who so much in that passage, and I want to preach before I preach, so don't count this as my preaching time. But isn't it crazy how people can be in the same environment but have two totally different experiences? Like th this man's hand has just been completely restored. I imagine as soon as it was restored, everybody went crazy, started shouting, doing the Holy Ghost two-step, giving God praise. But then the Pharisees saw the healing of this man's hand as a moment to say, we got to go kill Jesus. This man's healing is what put the plot in action that ultimately got Jesus on the cross. Ooh, so many titles are running through my head. I could have titled this message, When Healing You Is Going to Kill Me. That was one title that I played around with, but it's not what I want to preach with today. I, I, I had another title too, you know, some of y'all ain't been saved that long. You've been to Vegas and I could have, I could have preached, you know, how to win with the bad hand. That's another title, but it's not what I want to preach about today. Because I love how this man's hand was completely restored, completely restored. And I want to say to somebody in this room and watching online, and I believe 2021 is the year of restoration that God is going to restore things back to you that the enemy took away. Anybody receive that right now? This is my year. Oh, come on, you better clap like you're going to receive it. This is my year. Not of half restoration, complete restoration this year. So today I want to preach from this subject where restoration starts. Restoration starts. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray. It's going to be a long prayer, uh, but just bear with me. God, you are awesome. Speak to us today. Amen. Where restoration starts. Victory family, they say that hindsight is 2020. But as we stand in the infancy of 2021, how many know hindsight is literally 2020? We are in a new year. And I don't know about you, but 2020 taught me some lessons. 
a myriad of lessons. First lesson I learned in 2020 as we were sheltered in place with those three little cute humans, six, four, and three, for several weeks stuck in the house with those three little humans. First lesson I learned in 2020 is that our teachers are grossly underpaid. I'm telling with that grossly underpaid. Come on, teachers. If you got a stimulus check, send it to every teacher that you know. <laughs> First thing I learned. Remember before the pandemic when a teacher would write a note and you'd be like, uh-uh, not my baby. You got all defensive. Not my child. Now I believe it. Anything they say, I believe it. They are telling the truth. They're underpaid. It's the first lesson of 2020. Second lesson I learned in 2020 is that, you know, your greatest ability sometimes is adaptability. Your ability to change, your ability to not be stuck to what always was, but your ability to pivot and to move into what God is doing is an asset. Sometimes the greatest ability is adaptability. The third thing that I didn't really learn, but I was reminded of in 2020, and that is that the church is not optional. The church is essential. Oh, I'm going to say it again. The church of the living God is not optional. The church is essential. How many of you have come to know we need the church of the living God? This is essential work. Oh, I can deal with a bad barber. I don't mind having one bad haircut. I can deal with a bad dentist. My tooth will hurt for a little bit. I can have a bad plumber. My house will get flooded. I got insurance. But I cannot have an unhealthy dead church. I need a church that's alive. I need somebody that's going to fill my heart with hope when I'm tired of seeing crazy stuff on the news. I need some good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many are thankful for the church that will be a light in the midst of darkness? This is not optional. Ooh, the church is essential. We need the church and you are the church, but there's something powerful about being able to gather together and worship. I mean, shout out to all of you online. You still got your bathrobe on. That's cool. I'm glad I can preach to you watching wherever you are, but there is something powerful about coming in together and worshiping and lifting up holy hands and singing together. You should have seen me over there. You are my champion. I love singing with y'all. Some of y'all were off key, but I was still worshiping because it's something powerful about being in here. And I think some of us took that for granted. We took it for granted when we couldn't because don't get me wrong, it's, it's lonely up here right now. It is lonely. Like, I'm the only one up here on this stage. It's very, very lonely. But it is not as lonely as it was when there was a shutdown and I was preaching to empty sanctuaries into an abyss of darkness, hoping that what I was saying was resonating on the other side of the camera. Oh, it's good to see some faces in the room. Now, I was actually thinking about this as I'm looking at your faces that I have an interesting vantage point right now. Very interesting vantage point. Because I can see you, and you can see me. If I look at this amazing LED screen, I can see myself. What's interesting to me is that if you're in the room right now, you can't see yourself. Think about that for a minute. Like, you don't have a clue what you look like right now. You know what you look like when you left the house this morning. You know what you look like if you stopped in the bathroom before you walked into service. But you don't know what you look like right now. Ooh, you don't know what's happening on your face right now because you can't see yourself. You can't see you right now. Look at you got the nerve, the audacity to say 2021, ooh, new year, new me. And you can't even see yourself right now. And I think that's important, not just in the reality of this moment, but in life to know that I can't see myself. You don't know what you look like. And how can I change something when I can't see it? How can I have a New Year's resolution when I first actually need a New Year's revelation? Because God cannot change anything that I'm unaware of. You do know that all change in your life is always preceded by awareness and you can't see yourself. Let me take it further. Have you ever started a Daniel fast and you know you had your little kale salad at lunch and it was good and then you get home about 6 o'clock in the evening and you go into your house in your bathroom and look in the mirror and see the 
the biggest piece of kale in between your teeth. It is 6.55. You had that kale salad at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. You think to yourself, I talked to at least 23 people today. Did nobody want to tell me I had a big old piece of kale in between my teeth? And all of a sudden, you're pulling out something that you couldn't see because you cannot see yourself and you cannot fix what you are unaware of. What are you saying, Robert? I'm saying all of us have blind spots areas in our life, things that we can't see. And if God is going to bring restoration, there must first be recognition of the things in my life that need to be changed. I'll never forget talking to an influential leader and I was asking him all kinds of questions about leadership. And he said, Robert, there's actually a question that I ask as a leader. He said, I ask this question to the people that I lead. He said, I even ask this question to my wife. He said, I'll ask this question to my kids and the people that I love. He said, the question is, what is it like to be on the other side of me? What is it like to be on the other side of me? He said, I asked them that because I know as a leader, I have blind spots. I have areas of my life that I'm not aware of. And that is the only thing I don't have perspective on is what is it like to be on the other side of me? Some of you sitting up here, you might be like, man, I don't need to change anything. I'm a good husband. I know that. How do you know? You've never been married to yourself. <laughs> You're like, I'm a good wife. I don't know what his problem is. I know I'm a good wife. How do you know? You haven't been married to you. What's wrong with these kids? I know I'm a good parent. How do you know? You didn't raise yourself. I know I'm a good boss. I know that in this company. I'm a good boss. How do you know? You've never had to work for you. You ought to put an intercom in the break room. You will see what it's like to be on the other side of you. And the prayer you need to be praying at the beginning of 2021 is God, show me me. Show me the things in my life that need to be changed, that need to be restored. Don't let me spend my life looking at everybody else's life and what they need to fix and be completely unaware of what needs to be changed in me preach, Robert. This was the problem with the Pharisees who are in my text today. The Pharisees were proficient at seeing what was wrong with everybody else, but they couldn't see what's, what was wrong with them. The Pharisees, the Pharisees, P-H-A-R-I-S-E-E-I-C. -E -E -I, I call them the Pharisee because they can always say, I see what's wrong with you, but they could never see what was wrong with them. The Pharisees were real good at microscopes. See what was wrong with everybody else in finite detail, but they were horrible with mirrors. They could never pull a Michael Jackson and just look at the man in the mirror and say, I'm asking him to change his ways. This was the problem with the Pharisees, and Jesus was always calling them out on it. Now, let me parenthetically pause here before we delve into the Pharisees' issue, because isn't it funny, whenever you're reading the Bible, nobody ever typecast themselves as the Pharisees in the text. Come on, you don't never typecast yourself as the Pharisees when you're reading the Bible. You're always the person with the blind eye. You're always the person, you know, with the withered hand. You're always the person that's hurting. You're like, I just need Jesus to fix some stuff. We never think we're the Pharisees. Isn't that funny? The people that regularly attend church never think they're the people in the Bible that regularly attended church. So maybe another thing to consider besides the fact I can't see myself, you might need to ask yourself, could the Pharisee be me? Because I can't see myself. And Jesus was always calling them out on the fact that they could see what was wrong with everybody else but couldn't see what was wrong with them. And the Pharisees had issues with Jesus. Oh, they had all these issues. The basis of the issue is they were just jealous of Jesus. I mean, no, they were jealous. Oh, they were jealous because Jesus was stepping into his destiny. He was stepping into his purpose. And I want to tell somebody in this room or watching online, when you start stepping into your destiny, there will be jealousy. When you start stepping into your purpose, how many know you will gain some haters? You will gain some critics. When you start stepping into the effulgence of what God has for you, please believe somebody's going to get jealous. Somebody's going to criticize you. Stop crying about it. Stop complaining about it. How I mean, you know, it comes with the territory. The only people that never get criticized are the people that never do anything, never say anything, and never become who God has called them to be. But I promise you, if you step in your destiny, people will get jealous. You ought to start smiling about it when they do. In fact, one writer said that jealousy is the trophy that mediocrity gives to excellence. Ooh, 
Ooh, that's good. I'm going to say that again. Jealousy is the trophy that mediocrity gives to excellence. The Pharisees were jealous of Jesus. They also took issue with Jesus' claims because Jesus was claiming to be the Son of God. And they were like, come on, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Don't act brand new, Jesus. We know where you came from. You are not the son of God. Have you ever met those people in your life? Whenever you start stepping into what God has for you, they remind you of your past and remind you of where you came from. Oh, they couldn't stand Jesus' claims. They also could not stand who Jesus would hang out with. Because, you know, Jesus had a reputation. Jesus had a reputation for hanging out with people that had bad reputations. Come on, he was always at Starbucks with some sinner, always hanging out with some shady person that was just on TMZ. And they were like, oh my goodness, if he really was holy, if he really was a man of God, he would know how despicable that person was and he wouldn't be seen with them. They couldn't stand that he hung out with sinners. But none of those were the issues that got Jesus crucified. None of those were the issues that made them put a plot in place to kill him. The big issue the Pharisees had was he kept doing stuff on the Sabbath. That was the issue. That was their hot button issue. That's what got him killed. He kept doing stuff on the Sabbath, ooh, and it infuriated the Pharisees because they had been given a commandment from Moses to honor the Sabbath, to keep it holy. To Sabbath means to rest, to cease from your work. All the way from Genesis, Jesus, God himself rather, he Sabbath, he created the world in six days, but on the seventh day, he rested not because he needed to rest, he's God, but he was showing us a pattern and a principle that there is something about resting. There is something about resting that is connected to you trusting. When you sit back and rest, you're saying, God, you are sovereign. I am not. I know you know how to work it out. Come on, you know last night while you were sleeping, you were not thinking about how your heart was pumping blood to your body. It was taking care of itself because resting is trusting that God is in control, that God is going to take care of this thing. So they've been given a commandment, keep the Sabbath holy. Don't work but they said there's no details in what work is, so we'll give the details as to what it means to work. And they kept adding and adding and adding to the law. And when Jesus kept doing stuff on the Sabbath, oh, it infuriated them because they took the Sabbath serious. Even Jews today take the Sabbath serious. Oh, I learned this the hard way. I went to Israel. I went to the Holy Land. And, and I went to the Holy Land. And I was having the best time. I'm out there seeing all the sights. And it was hot. So I'm drinking all this water. And uh, a brother missed the bathroom break. I missed the bathroom break. I think I was having a moment at Bethlehem. And uh, by the time I get back on my bus and get back to the hotel, I have got to go. I got to go. And so I get off the bus and I go to the hotel and I get on the elevator. I think I was on the eighth floor. This elevator stopped on every single, it stopped on the first floor. It stopped on the second floor. It stopped on the third, I'm on the eighth floor. It stopped on the fourth floor. On the, by the sixth floor, I passed out. It stopped on the seventh floor. Gets to the eighth floor, I'm mad. I get off the elevator, go in, come back out, catch the same elevator on the way down. Stop on every single floor on the way down. By the time I got to the lobby, I had attitude. I said, I need to speak to the manager, okay? I paid a whole lot of money to walk where Jesus walked. I need to understand why they can't fix the elevator in this hotel. I was so mad. And somebody from our tour group saw me. They're like, where are you going? I said, I'm going to talk to the manager. That elevator over there stopped on every single floor on the way up. They said, Robert, it's the Sabbath. I said, I don't care what day it is. They need to get a technician to fix that elevator. Why is it stopping on every floor? They said, Robert, that elevator? I said, yeah. They said, Robert, that's the Shabbat elevator. I said, I don't care if it's the Shazam elevator. Somebody needs to fix it. It stopped on every floor. They said, oh, Robert, you don't understand. It's the Sabbath. You cease from work. To push a button is work. So the reason it stopped on every floor is so you could honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Oh, 
oh, you laughing now. You should have seen what the Pharisees added back then. They had a litany of rules they had added to the Sabbath. People, you could only take 1,999 steps on the Sabbath. You took that 2,000 steps, you were working. You couldn't carry anything that weighed more than a fig on the Sabbath. You couldn't light a candle on the Sabbath. You couldn't write a letter on the Sabbath. If you threw something up in the air, you better catch it with the other hand. Because if you catch it with the same hand, you are working on the Sabbath. You couldn't look in the mirror on the Sabbath because you might see a gray hair and you might pull that gray hair out and that's work on the Sabbath. You couldn't bathe on the Sabbath. Walking around musty because if you spill water on the floor, you would be tempted to clean up the water while you ate all kinds of rules and you sure couldn't heal anybody on the Sabbath. You sure couldn't restore on the Sabbath and here comes Jesus with all of those rules and all of those traditions and all of those regulations and here comes Jesus who splits eternity and steps into time and says, I am God all by myself. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. You can't tell me who I'm going to restore. Restoration is what I do. I'll heal on the Sabbath. I'll redeem on the Sabbath because I am God all by myself. And that's what I do. Somebody give God some praise. If you know he's a God of restoration. Oh, that's a cute golf clap. Give him some praise like you know he can restore. Woo! Jesus kept healing people on the Sabbath. Remember Luke chapter 13? There's a woman who for 18 years has had a spirit of infirmity. She's not been able to lift herself up. A spirit of infirmity. For 18 years, this woman was bowed over. Have you ever felt like you can't straighten yourself up? Get yourself together. That's what's funny about a new year. So many people are like, oh, this is my year. I'm going to get myself together. I'm going to straighten myself out this year. Yeah. I've been reading books and stuff. Yeah. Some self-help. For real? Self-help. You're going to help yourself? That concept makes me laugh in our culture. Self-help. It's yourself that got you in a mess in the first place. How are you going to help yourself? You are too hashtag jacked up to help yourself. That's why you need a savior. Come on, somebody. You can't heal yourself. You can't redeem yourself. 18 years this woman was bowed over and all of a sudden she encounters Jesus and Jesus says, daughter, you are freed from your suffering. And all of a sudden she lifts herself up after 18 years of suffering. The only problem was Jesus healed her on the Sabbath and they were angry. Ooh, remember John chapter 5? There is a man who has been by a pool called Bethesda for 38 years. 38 years, this lame man has been by this pool that every so often, the first person in the pool gets healing. And for 38 years, this man had missed his moment. I don't know who I'm preaching to today, but have you ever felt like you just missed your moment? Maybe the enemy was whispering in your ear at the beginning of this year saying, I wouldn't get excited about 2021. You, you, you missed the moment. I mean, if it was five years ago, three years ago, God could have done that promise, but no, you, you, you've missed the moment. 38 years, this man thought he had missed the moment in his life, and all of a sudden, Jesus comes up to him and says, hey, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Ask him that question. Now, full preacher confession. I preached that passage, passage when I was like 19 about John chapter 5, and I preached it with an attitude. I had an attitude with this dude. I had no grace for this dude. Because I'm like, bro, for real? 38 years? 30, by 38, you should have your life together, okay? 38 years? I said, man, by 38, man, you could have at least rolled your way by the pool and just been close to get in. Oh, I preached it with an attitude. And I said, Jesus asked him, do you want to get well with an attitude? Because, you know, we don't have vocal intonation in the Bible. So I said, Jesus went up to him and said, do you want to get well? I mean, do you really want it? Because you should have done something with your life by now. As if Jesus was annoyed with the people that he was about to heal. Oh, but I'm coming up on 38 this year. And I know what it's like to have some stuff. You still working out? Come on, now I know. Jesus didn't ask that man, do you want to get well? With the vocal intonation of frustration. He said, do you want to get well? With the vocal intonation of expectation. Saying the devil lied to you. If you think that you missed your moment after all these years, I'm still able, even right now to bring restoration to the thing you've been believing for for years. Come on, is there anybody that's got a promise that hadn't come into fruition yet, but you know that God is still able to restore? Oh, tells them get up, take your mat and walk it. That dude got up and started walking. 
Only problem was, it was the Sabbath. John chapter 9, there's a man who has been born blind, blind from birth. And Jesus and his associates, his 12 staff members, are walking with him. And the staff members of the church ask this man who's been born blind, ask Jesus rather, the most asinine question, the dumbest question. They say, uh, Jesus, who sinned, him or his parents, for him to be born blind? What a dumb question. In fact, Jesus even calls them out on it. I like the message translation. He says, uh, you asking the wrong question because they have limited this man's suffering to his personal sin. And how many know suffering is not always a result of some decision or some sin you committed? It is not always the result. You got to be careful when you're going through suffering because the enemy will play mind games with you and say, it's because you did this. It's because you did that. That is not always the case. Now, sometimes it is. Amen. Come on. Sometimes the reason you are suffering is because of a sin, a decision that you made, not the devil. Amen. It was you. You responded to the text message. Amen. You responded to that DM and you knew he wasn't the one. You did that. And sometimes it is a result, but God says that's not always the case. He says, sometimes your suffering is simply a setup for me to get the glory out of the situation. That's what he said about this man. He said, this happened so that the glory of God might be revealed in his life. Come on, is there anybody that went through something last year? Are you going through something right now? But you know that God is going to get the glory out of that situation. Come on, God's going to get the glory out of your finances. He's going to get the glory out of that marriage. Come on, he's going to get the glory over that child. You been praying and believing God for? God can get the glory out of suffering. And so Jesus breaks all kinds of COVID-19 rules, spits in some mud, and rubs it all in the dude's eyes. And all of a sudden, he gets his sight. Only problem was he got his sight on the... So the Pharisees start making a connection. He won't stop doing it. He keeps restoring on the step, he can't help himself. He has an affinity for brokenness. He's going to restore. So the Pharisees took it upon themselves to say, we're going to watch him. There I see. And we're going to make sure he doesn't break any more of our Sabbath rules. Now I'm in my text. Oh, that was my introduction. And they are, <laughs> they are in a grain field. You got to see this. The Pharisees are in a grain field, stalks of grain, and they are following Jesus and his disciples. They are hiding in a grain field, in stalks of grain. They are literally stalking Jesus. I'm trying to wake some of y'all up. They are literally stalking him. <laughs> Talking about, shh, be quiet. Trying to see if he's going to break a rule. They're, they're stalking Jesus and his disciples. Now, this tripped me out because they don't like Jesus. They don't like him, but they're still following him. They don't like him, but they're following him. Oh, you missed your place to shout right there. Isn't it funny how people won't like you, but they'll still be following you? This is what I don't understand about social media. If you don't like me, then why are you following me? Boo-boo, you push follow. Why are you on my page? Oh, but from the Bible days till today, People will be following you and don't even like you, but they're looking for something to say something about. Can you see him? Shh. They might see us looking all frustrated and constipated, walking, looking, shh, following. And I want you to see religion versus relationship. Here they are looking all frustrated. Shh, be quiet. And look at the disciples who just got relationship with Jesus, having the time of their lives. Talk about, man, Jesus. <laughs> Boy, you were preaching today, man. Oh, that sermon on the mount, that was good stuff. Now, you long-winded. You long-winded, but man, that was a good sermon. Jesus, we didn't even get to get no food. Jesus, oh my goodness. I'm about to eat some of this grain. And Jesus like, get you some. You're like, you know what? And they're just having a good time laughing because you do know that the kingdom of God is joy, righteousness, peace, and joy. Talking about restoration. Is there anybody say 2021 is my year to get my joy back? 
Come on, you cried too much in 2020. This is your year to get your joy back. God wants to restore your joy, not happiness, but joy. You realize your circumstance doesn't have to change for you to get joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. I can be going through hell, but still have joy, but still have a hallelujah in my heart because God gave me the joy. They're just laughing, eating the grain, having a good time. And as soon as they start eating that grain, the Pharisees pop up. Ah! I say. <laughs> Jesus and disciples are like, have y'all been there the whole time? They're like, yes, we have. And uh, we see it's unlawful to eat that grain on the Sabbath. And I can see it. I can literally see the disciples still grain in their mouth like, And I can see Jesus like, don't even worry about it. Don't, forget, I got this. Let me talk to them. Peter, Peter, calm down. I got this. I got this. Y'all keep eating. Keep eating. Keep eating. Because how many know this is a season of your life? You have to have the wisdom to know what to respond to and what to ignore. What to speak to and what does not necessitate a response at all. Jesus said, I am your defender. I will fight your battles. Just keep on eating. Keep on eating. I'll take care of them. And he looks at him and says, um, have you not read when David was hungry and he ate the bread that was consecrated only for the high priest to eat and gave it to his companions? Have you not read that? I love it because Jesus is throwing shade <laughs> because he knows they've read it. They got it memorized. They know the word. They've got the first five books of the Old Testament mem memorized. You still skip Leviticus in your Bible reading plan. They had it memorized. Of course they read it. They knew the book. Oh, but they didn't know the author. They knew the letter of the law, but they had lost the spirit of the law. And it's dangerous when you know a bunch of scriptures, but you don't have a heart for people. And Jesus is calling them out. He's saying, I know you've read it and I know you got it memorized, but I'm bringing up the situation with David who ate the bread that he should not have eaten because you don't understand that human need has got to transcend human tradition. That you don't elevate your programs over people. That you don't put your conduct code above compassion for hurting and broken people because I came for people I came to seek and save that which is lost you do real good with your customs but you are horrible at compassion you've lost the heart of what I came to do I am the fulfillment of that word that you think you know so well and left them there in the grain field dazed they're like well I'm it's still the Sabbath. <laughs> All right, well, follow me into the synagogue. Goes into the synagogue. It's still the Sabbath, and Jesus is preaching, and I can see them in the synagogue looking for broken people because they know he's going to do something about it. I can see them scanning the church, if you will, for brokenness. So let me say, no, she looked good. She got it together. Let me say, oh, no, he got both of his eyes. He's fine. Can you see? They're looking for somebody that has a defect because they know he's going to do something about it. This is why the church is supposed to have broken people. When did the church become a museum of perfection where you're supposed to walk in and act like you had manna for breakfast and you floated in the room? Get out of here. This ain't a museum of perfection. How many know the church is supposed to be a hospital for hurting and broken people? They're supposed to come in here and find healing. They're supposed to come in here and find restoration. Oh, God, give us a church where people can come in with their issues and their defects and not feel judged. Oh, I wish you could come on down to Dallas, Texas and come to Social Dallas. We meet in a rock venue, a rock concert venue, right in the middle of the most party street in Dallas. And people come in every week high and drunk and all kinds of stuff. And they're like, hey, y'all got a cover charge in here? We're like, no, man, it's free tonight. Just for you. Just for you. Come on in. The church is supposed to be, and I can see them looking to see, is there any? Oh, oh, wait a minute. Got one. Got one. There he is. They're like, where? Third row from the back. Third row from the back? Yes, you don't see him. He always walks in late. There he is. I'm like, who is that? That's Willie. <laughs> Willie? You know Willie with the withered hand. 
that's him, Willie, with a withered hand. And Willie walks in with his withered hand, hiding it. By the way, those of you who are new to church, his name is not really Willie. How much you leave victory saying, man, he preached on Willie. You know the dude in the Bible and Luke. I'm just giving him that name. But it's funny that they call him the man with the withered hand. They don't call him the man with one good hand. They don't call him the man with two good legs or the man with two good ears. No, Willie with the withered hand. Because people love to define you by your defect. They will define you by your dysfunction to the point that you think your issue is your identity. In fact, some of you have done it to yourself. You think your issue is your identity and you have defined yourself by the one thing in your life that is broken. The one thing. Some of you have defined yourself by one moment in your past and you think that's who you are. But God told me to tell you, if you are in Christ, you are a brand new creature. Your issue is not your identity. Hear me, you are more than any mistake that you made stop defining yourself by your defect and here he is Willie with the withered hand and I don't think Willie came in there expecting to be healed that day oh he was not expecting to be healed come on read your bible throughout the gospels anybody that was expecting to be healed how many know they would say something if they saw Jesus, they would say something because they knew he can't miss. He's 10 for 10 when it comes to healing and restoration. If you got an issue, he is going to heal it. He don't even ask questions. He don't even say, hey, now you're going to look at bad stuff if I heal those eyes. You're going to listen to bad music if I heal. No, he just heals whoever comes to him. That's the power that he had. And Willie didn't do like the blind Bartimaeus and say, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. He didn't do like the woman with the issue of blood and press his way. No, he remained quiet. Because you can live with a withered hand. It's not a blind eye. It's not a deaf ear. You can get around. You can do some stuff with a withered hand. A withered hand represents the thing that you have learned to live with. It's the thing that you cried out to God maybe a few years ago and said, God, can you heal this? And you had faith. But as the issue went on and on and on, you've lost hope for it. And now you believe the lie that this is just the way it's supposed to be. Oh, the withered hand is the thing that you have learned to live with. And you have lost hope to the point that you don't even want to cry out to God and believe for him to restore it. While he's in the church not even expecting a breakthrough. The Pharisees notice him. And then Jesus notices Willie. And then the Pharisees notice Jesus notice Willie. <laughs> and then Jesus notice the Pharisees notice him notice Willie. <laughs> and the Pharisees look at Jesus all with their eyes and say, it's the Sabbath, you better not. <laughs> and Jesus with his eyes going, I'm the son of God. I can do what I want. Ben, I won't heal him right now. <laughs> and then the tension is in the room. And Jesus goes, Willie, stand up in front of everyone. Willie's like, me? Yeah, stand up. And he calls the Pharisees into account. He said, can I ask y'all something? I love it. They came to trap Jesus. Jesus flips the script and traps them. They came to interrogate Jesus. Jesus changes the whole courtroom and starts interrogating them. One question, worship team, join me. Is it lawful to do what is good on the Sabbath or to do evil? To save or to kill? Only one way to answer that question. Simple question. Lawful to do good or to do evil. I love what Jesus is doing because you understand the Pharisees represent religion and religion always takes that which is simple and makes it complex. That's what they did with the Sabbath. It was a day of rest and they have added a burden talking about steps and what you can carry and what you can't. They had made something so simple complex. That's what religion does. But thank God for Jesus who was the personification of grace because when religion takes that which is simple and makes it complex, how 
many are thankful for grace that takes that which is complex and makes it so simple it makes it tangible that's what grace did a God who was so apart from us here he comes in human form that we could touch because grace makes the complex simple that's what Jesus did come on when we had ten commandments how many are thankful that he comes with grace and takes the ten to two and says here's what you need to do love the Lord your God with all your heart soul mind and strength and then love your neighbor as yourself do those two right there grace makes the complex simple he says which is it do good or do evil and they remained silent they had nothing to say come on Pharisees you were real loud about them picking grain with their hands but you don't have anything to say now now you're quiet when somebody is hurting and somebody is broken, but you were loud about them picking grain. Oh, you know you're a Pharisee when you are loud about certain issues, but quiet about other issues. If you truly reflect the heart of God, how many know you will be loud about all human suffering? You will be loud about all human brokenness. You won't just pick and choose what you want to be loud about. You'll be loud about it all. But they remain silent. Jesus was distressed by their stubborn hearts. Wait a minute, what are we seeing? Why is this man standing up? And why have the Pharisees been called into account? You do know that every miracle in your Bible is a parable. Every miracle is a parable. When you have a God that can heal any kind of way, the way he heals will speak to you in the text. Come on, he could have healed this man any kind of way. He could have put an I dream a genie and just wiggled, wiggled his nose and healed him. He could have snapped and healed him. He could have spoke the word and healed him. What is Jesus doing by bringing out this man and calling out the Pharisees? Because he's trying to show them that in the same way this man has a shriveled, withered, rigid, hard hand, you have a shriveled, withered, hard heart. His hand is a picture of your heart. And how many know your heart and your hand are connected? Whatever you reach for with your hand, it first started in your heart. Whenever God wants to restore anything in your life, how many know it starts in your heart? Restoration starts in your heart. When God wants to heal your hand, he will start in your heart. He was trying to get them to do what he ultimately got this man to do. He said, stretch forth your hand. You see, really going, Jesus, how can I stretch forth my hand? If I could have stretched it, I would have done it by now. You know how many years my hand has been like this? I can't stretch it. I'm good, Jesus. I've learned to live with this hand. He's like, no, no, no. Stretch forth your hand. Jesus, how can I stretch forth my hand? If I could stretch it, I would have done it by now. No, stretch forth your hand. There's a difference now because I am commanding you to stretch forth your hand. And how many of you know with every commandment from God comes the empowerment for you to do it. If God ever commands you to do something, it don't matter if it doesn't make sense. How many know you just got to step out and be obedient and do it? Because within the commandment comes the empowerment for you to do it. I wouldn't be telling you to stretch it out if I wasn't giving you the power to stretch it out. Come on, somebody. Is there anybody that believes God's going to stretch me in 2021? But I got to step out anyway because in the stretching is going to come my healing. In the stretching is going to Come on, restoration. Come on, somebody give God some praise today. If you're believing, this is my year of complete restoration. And I'm going to obey as I stretch out. If he's telling you to do it, he'll give you the power to do it. And as he stretched, healing came. As he stretched out, he was restored. But the sad part of the text is there could have been two miracles. The Pharisees' hearts could have been stretched from a heart of stone to a heart of love and compassion, as well as this man's hand, because your heart and your hand are connected. Where does restoration start? It starts in your heart. And I believe I heard so clearly that God wants to give somebody a new heart for a new year. 
Maybe you've been complaining about the external, your hand, but God wants to deal with your heart because if he can get your heart, how many of you know he'll get your hand? Your hand and your heart are connected. If he can bring restoration internally, how many of you know it will manifest externally because healing starts on the inside. Restoration starts in your heart. Would you stand to your feet all over this place today? Father, Give us a new heart for a new year. God, we need a new heart so that our hands can do what you've called us to do. Father, your church needs a new heart. 2020 was heartbreaking for so many of us. And many of us have stepped into this new year with no expectation and with no hope simply because we have dragged in the disappointment of 2020 into 2021. But God, we want a new heart. Heart that will trust again. Heart that will believe again. A heart that will love again. Father, would you help bitterness and envy and strife to be removed from the heart of your church. I'm going to ask heads be bowed, eyes be closed in this moment, but I'm telling you, there was ever a time for the church and believers to have a new heart. It is now. I've never seen a moment with so much strife Everything is a conflict. Everything is polarizing. People in the church fighting with each other. Not talking to a loved one over an election. Not talking to somebody over a vote when you are a person of the kingdom of God. Oh, Jesus, give us a new heart. A heart that will hear. A heart that will be slow to speak and quick here we need a new heart for a new year heads are bowed eyes are closed if you'd be so honest to say man this this word is for me I, I need restoration in my heart I need a new heart for a new year I believe God wants to give you a new heart today and with heads bowed eyes closed if you say this is for me would you just lift up your hand as a sign to say God I want a new heart I want a new heart Come on, some of you have been carrying even bitterness towards God over the pain of what you went through and God saying, I've been with you the whole time. You need a new heart. If that's you, would you just lift it up as a sign to say, God, give me a new heart. Just lift it up. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Heads are still bowed. Eyes are still closed. Nobody's walking. Nobody's moving. But if you've never taken that first step, which is to say, Jesus, my life is yours. There's nothing like the beginning of a new year especially where so many people are trying to have a new them you can truly have a new you I saying I'm putting my faith my trust in Jesus I'm giving him my life so with heads bowed and eyes closed in this room or watching online if you have never surrendered your life to Jesus I want to give you that opportunity right now to say Jesus I'm coming home my life is yours if that's you would you just lift up your hand as a sign to say God I'm giving you my life today yeah thank you Jesus thank you God I see those hands. Hear me. This is, this is never to embarrass you. This is always to empower you. I just think there's something powerful in a service about leaving where you are and stepping into a new place. I think it is indicative of what God does in the supernatural that the old you is where you were and the new you with the new heart is stepping into what God has for you. So when I count to three, I'm going to ask you to be so bold and so brave. If you lifted up your hand for either one of those saying, I need a new heart or I'm giving you my life. I just want you to come to the front. Don't worry about what anybody else is going to think. This is about you and your God. Because I'm telling you, if he can bring restoration in your heart, how many of you know it will affect your hand? 
hand and whatever you do will prosper this is your year to have a new heart one come on if you should have lifted up your hand or you did I want you to come two three come on I don't care how far you got to walk I don't care who you got to say excuse me to it's worth it for God to give you a new heart today it's worth it for that heart of stone to become moldable again to become pliable again come on God wants to breathe new life into a new heart oh God give us a new heart come on as they come I want the worship team to lead us come on come on lift up your hands and declare it today here I am give us a new heart Jesus let our heart break for what breaks your heart God Keep declaring it. You can have it all. Come on, keep singing. Here I am. Here I am. I'm holding nothing back. Here's my heart. Here's my heart. Here's my heart. You can have it all. Say it. You can Come on, declare it today by faith. Here's my heart. Here's my heart. Give us a new heart for a new year. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in me. Oh God. Replace a heart of fear with a heart of faith. Replace the heart that is cynical the heart that has expectation replace a heart that is depressed with a heart that is full of joy replace a heart of anxiety with a heart of hope give us a new heart thank you that restoration starts in our heart and will affect our hands so that whatever we put our hand to do will prosper. Start in our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, just in this moment, with hands lifted, we're gonna pray this prayer, especially those of you who responded, but we're gonna say it as one big family, even those of you watching online. We just say this, say, Dear Jesus, I receive a new heart for a new year. Thank you that you are a God that restores. Start in my heart. Restore my heart so that my hand will be healed too. Jesus, I give you everything. I cannot do life. I cannot do this year. I can't do a single day 
without you. I need you. Forgive me of my sin. Make me brand new. From this moment forward, I'm walking with you. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. And if you meant what you prayed, come on, would you give God some praise today? Come on, you can do better than that victory. Come on, can we give Jesus some praise?